great pleasure, as it always is, for uh, us to be here. Uh, I'd like to uh, start this morning by telling you a story um, about myself. Now, I don't have too many fears or phobias, but there are two in particular that have quite an impact uh, on me. If I'm a position, in a position where I uh, fight or flight, when it comes to these particular phobias, I'm ready to run as fast as I can in the opposite direction. These phobias are claustrophobia, so the fear of uh, confined spaces, um, which gets tested from time to time. I have a, 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 a health condition that means my brain needs to be scanned by an MRI every now and again, and that's probably one of the things I detest the most, is going into that coffin for 25 minutes or more. That feels like an hour and a half, but I can tell you that is the time I'm closest to the Saviour as I pray and sing as many songs of worship as I possibly can. Uh, the other one is acrophobia. Does anybody know what that means? Oh, here we go. Heights. Well done. Fear of heights. Yes, it's not something that I enjoy is being up very high when I can look down and see something a long way beneath me. So I have a story for you about that. I was on Charlotte's year six camp. Now, Charlotte's in grade 12, so this was quite some time ago. Uh, one of the parent helpers, and we were going from activity to activity, and I was uh, encouraging the kids and helping them with what they were doing and cheering them on. And we got to the flying fox. And uh, again, as a parent, that's great. I got to watch them all climb up this, what seemed to be a very tall ladder, onto a very thin tree that had spikes uh, on either side for you to climb up to this very small platform at a great height. So small that the uh, instructors up there couldn't actually be on the platform at the same time as the kids. They were hanging off the edge on their ropes, which was not very appealing to me. But that's all right. I watched them all come down, and we finished. And then they said, Mr. Arnold, it's your turn. It's like, no, that's all right. I'll, uh, I'll just pass. We need to get on to the next activity. No, 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 it's your turn. It's your turn. So up I went. Very shaky ladder. And I thought, what have I done? As soon as I was on, like, rung three or four. And then when I got onto the tree, onto the, tree the uh, last kid was just jumping off, which made the tree wobble. And as I got up to the very top onto this very minute platform, my back was as close to the tree as I possibly could whilst they strapped me on. It was at that point I had a decision to make. Jump in 100%, completely trusting on some ropes and some cables, or look back down the tree and figure out how on earth I'm going to climb back down. So... I took off and I jumped. So what's the point of this story that I've got for you? Well, I had to exercise a lot of faith, didn't I? That the ladder was going to hold me, the tree was going to stay up and the platform was not going to disintegrate the moment I stood on it and that the cables were going to keep me from falling down. And so I jumped 100% faith in these, uh, in these uh, cables. And what was the outcome? I loved it. I really enjoyed it. It was something uh, that was great. And so my faith was rewarded in this particular example. Every day we're actually called to exercise faith in what we do and in how we live our lives. We all exercise faith this morning as we came to church, um, hoping and expecting that everybody else on the road would follow the road rules as we were travelling here. We exercise faith when we uh, turn on the light switch when we put something into the electric sockets uh, and hope that it works, particularly if you're using things like oxygen or uh, CPAP machines and those kind of things, you are placing faith that, that that electricity 
works. We don't see the electricity, and most of us probably don't understand how it works, but we can see the impact of it. Same with the internet, with mobile phone uh, towers and signals. We actually can't see how it works, but we can see the impact of it. We don't see what the drivers on the road are thinking as they're driving. We don't know what their decisions are as they drive, but we see the impacts of them. And hopefully we actually don't notice the impacts of them because we're all doing the right thing. So we exercise faith in everything that we do. And I'm sure you can uh, come up with many, many other examples. Uh, How about when you log on to the internet or you go to buy something online and before it lets you go to the next page, you have to tick something that says you've read the terms and conditions. How many people read them every time that they tick? Right, what are we doing? We're exercising faith that the company hopefully has protected our rights when we tick and move on, but yet none of us test that out, do we? So faith is something I just want to have a touch on this morning. It is a massive topic, and if we were to actually go through all of it this morning, we would be here for several days and weeks to come. So this morning I would like to just have a look at the definition of faith. What is it? Why it is important to us? And then we'll just spend a short period of time looking at just one of the benefits of faith. So faith is defined in the Oxford Dictionary as having complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Other definitions regard faith as a strongly held belief. Interestingly, they also define faith as a strong belief in the doctrines of a religion based on a spiritual conviction rather than proof. I do find this definition rather interesting uh, because... No matter what you do, when you put your faith in something, and we talked about some, some examples already this morning, you must have a conviction that it will take place. Oftentimes you haven't actually proven that that is the case. How many times have we tested the terms and conditions to prove that our rights are protected? Trust and confidence and faith in something can only come from observed behaviour and observed actions. You can have faith and confidence in something because you have seen it happen before. So as you're aware, faith is one of the central platforms of the Christian life. It's argued or inferred by some, including in our previous definition, that faith, Christian faith, requires a blind hope whose basis or hypothesis cannot be proven. Now, again, I don't agree with this definition or suggestion at all. As we'll see this morning, the Christian faith can be proven by both observation and action, just like any other act of faith. The best source to go to to answer the question of faith, what is it and how and why is it important to us, is, of course, the Bible. And we're going to turn there now. As we read and discuss what the Bible has to say, I would encourage you to not blindly believe what I say, but to look into it for yourself and to understand for yourself and to prove for yourself that what I'm saying is right and true. So you can turn to Hebrews chapter 11 uh, for us and uh, we're going to read a number of verses there. Like I said, this topic is large. We're not going to go through it all. But I would encourage you, and I hope that this might inspire you, to go home and uh, and to delve further into uh, this topic 
um, late, uh, during this week. So we're going to start from verse 1, Hebrews chapter 11. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. By faith Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith he was commended as a righteous man. When God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith he still speaks, even though he is dead. By faith Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because God had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God, because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. By faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become a father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. We'll leave our reading there for this morning. So we see in verse 1 that God has given us the definition of faith and it's pretty clear and it's pretty simple. It says that faith is being sure of what we hope for. Faith is also being certain of what we do not see. Now, a few other versions swap the word substance for sure. So faith is the substance of what we hope for and swaps the word evidence for certain. But I really like the simplicity of this particular version. Uh, We can certainly understand the words sure and certain. If you're blindly following someone's teaching, you cannot be sure and you cannot be certain of what it is that they are talking about. The words sure and certain indicate that it will definitely come to pass. The Oxford Dictionary, again, defines sure as being completely confident that one is right. And certain they define as being able to be firmly relied on to happen. So with this in mind, the author of the book of Hebrews is saying that we, what we hope for will surely come to pass. And what we do not see can be fully relied on to happen. So this then raises the question, what is this sure hope that the author is talking about? And what is it that we do not see that we can be certain about? (laughs) To understand this, we need to look back to see what the author has previously said. 
So I'm going to go through uh, sections of chapter 10. You're welcome to kind of skim through as I uh, talk about them. Um, and uh, you can see what I'm saying. So in chapter 10, the author talks about the fact that prior to Jesus' death on the cross, sacrifices of bulls and goats were happening every year in an attempt to take away sin. But he declares in verse 4 of chapter 10 that it is impossible for these sacrifices to take away sin. He goes on to declare in verse 10, that the death of Jesus on the cross had made those who believe holy as though they had not sinned. And in verse 14 it says, By one sacrifice he has made perfect those who are being made holy. And then in verse 17 and 18 he says that because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, God will no longer remember their sins and lawless acts. And where these have been forgiven, there is no longer any need for a sacrifice for sin. He goes on further to declare that we can now directly access God through prayer and worship and we no longer need a priest or a mediator to do it for us. He says that our hearts are cleansed and our bodies are washed with pure water. So our hope, which is sure, is that our sins are forgiven and forgotten. And this enables us to escape God's punishment and spend eternity in his presence. What we do not see that we can regard as certain, as we read in chapter 11, is the fulfilment of the promises of God. And this is what drove each of those men and women that are mentioned in Hebrews 11. So let's have a look at some of the examples of this faith in the remaining chapters, verses of chapter 11. For instance, in verse 3, it says, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So the universe was formed by command from God, which means it came into being from nothing. What we see now was not made out of what was visible. So does that mean we have to blindly believe this without any proof? Now, I'm not going to get into a debate this morning about the theory of evolution and creation, but what I want to simply point out is this. I firmly believe we can be sure and certain that creation is true. Why? Through observation, by observing the outcomes of that creation. If God is the creator and designer of all things, which is what... I believe, then we, he would create things that have order, that have design, that have a specific purpose and a specific role. Every element would be created in its finished form. What does our observation tell us as we look around our environment and our universe at the moment? We see that order. We see that design. We see that we all have a specific purpose and a specific role. God is a God of order. And this applies to each and every one of us as human beings. We have a specific purpose and a specific role that God has created us to do. However, in complete contrast, the alternative theory devised by mankind is chaotic. According to the theory of evolution, the world and all its perfect order started from a chaotic explosion. 
We're expected to believe that such a catastrophic blast made the sun to rise and set in its perfective, perfective order. We are expected to believe that the earth was created to orbit around the sun so perfectly that we are not frozen to death or fried like a crisp as it goes on its orbit, all due to a catastrophic blast. Further, man's theory creates even more chaos as it wants us to believe that one molecule has evolved or changed over an enormous period of time so that all living animals and plants can now exist in its current form. If this is true, their theory would require thousands and thousands of part animals as they are mid-evolution. How chaotic that would be. And again, something that has simply not been observed at this point in time. I would suggest that the theory of evolution requires blind faith without observation. The author then goes on to describe many people who have lived and believed in God and then made decisions and acted in a way that may have seemed unusual to those around them. But they did so due to their faith and belief in God. Just some of the names that we read just all of a sudden bring to mind their stories and what happened to them. We see that Noah built this massive ark because God had promised him that he would flood the world and yet he would be rescued, he and his family. We see that Abraham was called to leave where he was, grew up and to go out into the wilderness, in fact, into the promised land. And yet he didn't know where he was going and what was going to happen. We see that Abraham and Sarah well passed beyond the ability to bear children, was told that his descendants would be as numerous as the stars and as countless as the sand on the seashore. And he believed in God and it came true. We see that by faith, Moses' parents, particularly Moses' mum, placed him in a basket and pushed him into the Nile River, knowing in faith that God would use him for he was no ordinary child. And we see that through faith, Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. The stories go on and on and on. And I would so encourage you to read some of these stories and get right into them. One of my favourite verses in this little section is, verse, is from verse 32. And it says, it starts off by saying, What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell you about... Dot, 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 dot. Fill in the rest. And he lists a whole heap more of faithful men and women who have followed God wholeheartedly and seen him do great things. To this list, we can add innumerable amount of people since this book was written and even others that are recorded within the pages of this book that have not been mentioned specifically in this list. Here the author is showing us that we can be fully reliant and certain about faith in Jesus as here are the observations and actions of those who have gone before us and who have proven the existence of God and the reality of their faith in their lives. So why is it that we need this faith? Can I turn your attention please to verse 6 of Hebrews 11? And without faith it is impossible to please God. This is the reason why we need faith. Why it is important to have faith 
is so that we can please God. We please God by being holy and righteous and free from sin. Now, Nick reminded us this morning of the righteous anger of God. And we know that God cannot stand sin in his presence. And so for those who do not believe, the righteous anger of God is coming for us. But through faith, we can please God. We can be found holy and righteous in his presence. We saw in chapter 10 that it's impossible for us on our own to take away our sin, which in turn means that it's impossible for us on our own to please God. In the book of Romans, a well-known verse that I'm sure we could all recite, Romans 6 and 23, says that the wages of sin is death. This means the consequences of how we live of what we have said, of what we have done, and probably more scarily, what we have thought, will lead us to suffer God's judgment and eternal death. But the second part of this verse in Romans 6, that God has given those who put their faith and trust in him, who believe in him, he has given us an enormous gift. The verse goes on to say, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Why is it important for us to have faith in God? Because it's only because of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ that we can move from death to life. In fact, can I um, encourage you to go and have a read through 1 Corinthians 15? Again, time is against us to go there. But here you will talk about, you will see that uh, Paul's argument that is so compelling that says, without the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, our preaching is useless and so is our faith. Our faith is futile and we are still in our sins. So it's because of the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary for us that we can be moved from death to life. And it's only at that point in time that our sins are taken away and it is only at that point in time that we are now in a position to please God. So faith must be based on something, otherwise it is completely blind. Verse 6 goes on to tell us that faith must rest on two core pillars. Firstly, we must believe that God exists. And secondly, we must believe that God rewards with mercy and salvation those who earnestly seek after him. So why is it important to hold to these two pillars and to live out our faith? We've seen so far that faith can be relied upon because we can observe it in action in the lives of those around us and the lives of those who have gone before us. Each of the people listed in Hebrews 11 and those not specifically named both believe that God existed and believe that God will reward those who seek after him. They read or they heard God's promises, including his promise of mercy and salvation, and then they lived in such a way that showed that they were certain 
that his promises would be fulfilled, that they were sure that the hope of their salvation is sure. Some questions for you to ponder. Is this how you are living? Are you living in such a way that others can see your assurance of the hope of salvation? Do others see the certainty by which you live, that you are certain that God's promises will come true? And if that's not the case, what do we need to change in our lives so that others can see that we are certain, that we do have a sure hope and a sure foundation on which to build our lives? This passage highlights the importance of leaving examples of faith for others to observe. Each of us have the opportunity to influence others with our faith as they watch us live. And this is particularly of critical importance within the family unit where God has blessed you with children. They watch and they learn from us each and every day. We set the example that they will follow in. If your children no longer live at home or if you haven't had the opportunity to have children or you're too young to do so, you are still given the opportunity to influence them and to influence those around you by the way in which you live, the way in which you act out and walk in faith. Today our society separates this day as an opportunity to celebrate our mums and the sacrifices they make for us each and every day. It's a day which we set aside to thank them for all the little things they do that go unnoticed. And us guys tend to not notice necessarily unless they're sick or away from home and all of a sudden it's our turn. We see that lunches need to be made, we see that meals need to be prepared, that the house needs to be cleaned, the clothes need to be washed, the kids that are taken to school and then brought back and then taken to sport and brought back and taken to music and brought back and taken to the dentist, the doctor, the fill in all the blanks. But in each of these unnoticed moments are opportunities to influence our children and others by the way in which we act and through the faith in which we live. I can tell you now, little ears and little eyes are listening and seeing how you live. 2 Timothy verse uh, chapter 1. Paul writes that he was longing to see Timothy, the young man he had taken under his wings and with the enabling of the Spirit had helped develop him into a great servant and leader of the church. Paul refers to him as uh, his dear son. In verse 5, Paul says he's reminded of Timothy's sincere faith which first lived in his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. And then Paul says he is persuaded that this same faith now lives in Timothy. Now mothers and grandmothers are given a very special role in the lives of their children. They provide a place of warmth and love for their children. They provide a place where relational, social and physical needs of their kids can be met. They're also the ones most likely to have to provide admonition and consequences to the mistakes and the misbehaviour of their children. But they also have the opportunity to speak God's love into their lives, particularly when they're applying pressure and pushing boundaries and seeking compromises in the way in which you live. Mums have a tough job, but it is a wonderful 
job, a wonderful role where they can positively influence their children by faith. Just like Timothy's mum and grandmother did, and they were credited by Paul as being major contributors to Timothy's faithful service. They too would have experienced the tough side of being a mum, but despite their struggles, they were able to hold firm and continue to live their faith in such a way that produced such a profound effect on Timothy's young life. So I encourage each of the mums here today to continue on holding firm to your faith and living it out each day, even when it gets tough to do so. Because it can bring great reward as you see the faith of your children blossom and grow. I love reading the stories in the Old Testament. However, I find it so frustrating how quickly and how often the children of God turned away from following after him. We sit there and go, don't you see what was happening? But yet, I don't think we're any different. I don't think we would be any better in the same set of circumstances. But what alarms me the most about these stories is that it only takes one generation each time for the whole country to turn from following after God. Only one generation. That means that the sons and the daughters who were living in these good times were leaving their faith and rejecting God's love for them. In these good times, there existed mums and dads who believed and trusted in God, who had faith in his promises, but they must not have been living that out in front of their children. They let their faith fade as they gave in to compromise and began to operate according to the ways and customs of those around them. All of a sudden, their children were no longer interested in their God or their faith. But they now start rejected God and his plans for them. The role of a parent, whether you're a mother or a father, whether you're a grandmother or a grandfather, are pivotal in shaping the spiritual outcomes of your children. We can't cause our children to be saved, that is for sure. But we do strongly influence their view of faith and their view of the Christian life as they watch us live. A couple more questions to ponder. What legacy are you leaving for your children, for your grandchildren, for those in your lives who watch you and observe you? Is your faith central to your life? Are you speaking faith into the lives of your children and all these little moments, these unnoticed moments? And I pray to the Lord that our generation is not the generation that sees our children reject God and his favour for them. Just as we're about as closing, I just want to focus on one of the benefits of faith. The fact that our faith guarantees our identity. When we look around us again, we see chaos in our society as people struggle with who they are and what their identity is. People who lack confidence in who 
they are. They are unsure. They are confused. The people around us can't seem to find a purpose. They can't seem to find that happiness or consistent satisfaction for life. They move so quickly from one thing to another and then to another, trying to find what makes them feel good, trying to find out what their identity is. We no longer have just male and female. We now have gender confusion and a whole heap of categories that you can identify as. We see a new look or a new trend on social media and so we change our lives to follow that image until it changes to something else, becomes the latest and greatest. We change what we wear, how we look, what we do, what our interests are, all because we don't have our own identity, all because we don't have confidence in who we are and what we were designed for, what our purpose is. Instead of being full of confidence that comes from Christ, our world is full of doubt, uncertainty and brokenness. Mankind has created a chaos that does not exist in God's world. God has created us all equal and has given us all the same identity. It's not something we have to pursue or try to achieve. It is something that is automatically given to us upon salvation. Can we just briefly look at Galatians 3 and we're just about to to, uh, end our time together. Galatians 3, I just want to read a couple of verses that uh, show what we're talking about to be true. Galatians 3.26, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. This passage tells us that we are all children of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We are all clothed with Jesus Christ and there is no longer any difference or any division between us. There is no racial divide. There is no gender divide. There is no social or economic divide between us all. There is no division whatsoever, for we are all one in Christ. He, and he alone, is the source of our identity. He is the source of our confidence. We no longer have to flip and flop with the world's misguided trends, for we know for certain who we are and where our identity lies. We are marked by faith in Christ alone and we can be sure of our hope of our sins being forgiven and washed away and forgotten. We can be sure of the hope of the home that we have in heaven. And finally, we can be certain of his grace and mercy at the cross. Going back to my story at the beginning, I couldn't dip my toe in when I was on that platform just to see whether the ropes would hold me. It was all in or it was nothing at all. That's how it works in the Christian life. We put our 100% trust and faith in God. It's all in. We can't have bits and pieces. And people 
are watching us. We can see and we have seen the proof of others who have gone before us that God is faithful and true and his promises will come to pass. Today I'd implore you to put your faith in God. And if you already have, examine your life. What legacy are you leaving? What example are you leaving? How are you influencing the children in your lives and those who look up to you? And finally, remember that your identity is not found in this world. It's not found in the trends and the things that others are doing. It's not found in chaos, but it is found in God's perfect order. You are a child of the living God, and he has secured your salvation and your place in heaven. What an amazing God that we serve, and what an amazing God who loves us and gave his son for us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the time that we've spent this morning opening your word, looking at your promises, looking at the great promise of salvation that you have given us through our Lord Jesus Christ. His resurrection from the dead has sealed our future, has sealed our position as children of the living God, has sealed our identity. Thank you that we can be sure of what we hope for. Thank you that we can be certain that your promises will come true. And we just want to thank you for this book, the the word of God, the Bible that you've given us, that we can read and we can see for ourselves how you have been faithful to so many people in the past. And we can see and observe for ourselves that the Christian faith is real that you are real and your promises are certain. Bless each one of us as we depart now. Help us to leave a legacy of faith just like Lois and Eunice did for Timothy. May we be able to influence others for you. We ask this in the name of our great Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.